0: Welcome to the first in a series of podcasts that AHEAD is launching focused on modernization and leveraging technology to meet new and expanding needs in healthcare. Today I'm joined by Houdini Aptai, one of AHEAD's client service partners, and Houdini also co-leads the healthcare vertical community. We're joined by John, um, Phil CTO at Oracle, and Esteban Rubens a healthcare field CTO for Oracle Cloud. Today, we're gonna discuss um, something that's really kind of top of mind for a lot of uh, healthcare companies, clients, systems. We're focusing on discussing resiliency in healthcare and how do hospitals and providers prepare for shocks and disruptions so they can recover as quickly as possible. And how can they adapt by learning lessons from us and for others and from what's happened to them so that they can really leverage that to perform better and be more prepared. So with that, let's let's jump into the discussion. I had a, a question, maybe Esteban, I can point this at, at you. Based on your experience, why is, is resi- resiliency in healthcare critical? You know, what are the consequences of of lack of resiliency Um, and a resiliency planning, say on like tier one clinical apps.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Jay. And thanks for, for having us today. Obviously, this information is crucial for patient care, has to be available all the time. Zero RPO, zero RTO is really the ideal state. Not everybody can afford that because obviously, as we know, you can get to any state that you want, but you have to plan for it appropriately. You have to Uh, have the the right machinery behind it you have to have the right procedures in place as well so that you can leverage the planning that you you undertook in order to avoid the impacts right the impacts are what we worry about the most the impacts on the clinical side and the financial side and both are important because obviously everything is about patient care so the clinical side having the right information at the right time in the right place to treat the right patient is crucial. Because as we've all seen in the news, this is not just in the healthcare news, this is international news where hospitals are now fully automated and they're fully digitized, even though maybe, yes, digital transformation still has a long way to go, but EHR, right, in North America, and Western Europe, in a lot of the world, everything is, is, you know, in terms of the patient record is digitized. So when those systems are not available, you have to revert to paper charting. If you don't have the proper planning, it's a disaster because not only does it impact in terms of time, but as we've all heard, you know, what used to be the triple aim that then became the quadruple aim, the quintuple aim, staff burnout, whatever you want to call it, right? The mental health of, of clinicians is very important they're already stretched thin, so if all of a sudden you have the situation in which the systems are not available, you have to revert to paper charting, that adds exponentially to their, to their woes, right? So it's it's not a good situation. And in the US, for sure, other parts of the world too, maybe not so much, providers operate on razor-thin margins. We know that. So anything that upsets that balance can have devastating consequences. And we know I I found a bunch of reports for instance one talks about some hospitals are just one incident away from closing and we've seen this you know hospitals that are unable to be resilient they get whether it's ransomware or you know natural disaster whatever that is they cannot recover so this is really an existential threat this is not just oh you know we should Plan for this because it makes sense, and you know, it's good IT policy. This is about life or death of patients, of clinicians, and of the institutions themselves. So we really should take this very, very seriously. And then even when you talk about uh reverting to, to paper charting, there some of these risks have been quantified. You know, I found this uh, paper in the National Library of Medicine that talks about. During downtime, where you don't have your normal systems, they're looking at lab uh, results. Specifically, they were delayed by an average of 62% compared to normal operations. So that's just one random data point. But this is part of a pattern. So why is resiliency important? Well, because, again, just to to recap, lives of patients, lives of clinicians, and lives of institutions really, really depend on this.
0: Great point, Esteban. It makes me think about... What happened recently during COVID and the fact that we have a lot of things that are probably lessons learned, given our experience with COVID, and they all tie to, you know, how resilient the systems we had in place were. Can you talk maybe a little bit about some of the lessons learned and your experience, things that we think, you know, are, should be important, given some of the things that you saw uh, during COVID?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that the one word that encapsulates this is agility. You have to be able to be very nimble, very agile, because we saw that everybody all of a sudden had to work from home and the IT consequences of that were major. How do you do this quickly? Well, this is what cloud excels at, right? You're able to be very elastic very quickly. And on top of this, not only the ability to be elastic and nimble, but we saw that the, the pandemic also caused all sorts of problems with supply chain, right? So people were not able to get things. So even if, say somebody wanted to buy a couple thousand laptops, they were not able to. They were, those were just not available. They, they couldn't buy servers, they couldn't buy storage, they couldn't buy, buy networking gear. So it's about knowing what you're gonna do if what you think you're gonna, maybe your preferred uh, route of action is unavailable. So you have to know, it was very interesting because the pandemic, at least the early 2020 version of the pandemic was a forcing function because yes, gear was not available. So we had to do something. So we went to virtual desktops, right? And the cloud sort of came like a knight in shining armor because it was the only way that most institutions were able to accommodate the very very quick transition to work from home and as we know maybe a lot of institutions had plans for that to happen but they were again forced to implement them in in no time because there was no uh, opportunity to have committees and talk about things and go over it's like people were home and they had to work and so you had to be able to do this so knowing what resources are available And knowing what the state of technology is, is extremely important, as well as being aware of what you can leverage, right? So maybe before the pandemic, provider institutions were not thinking about GPU compute that much. Well, it turns out that for virtual desktops, it's exceedingly useful and it made all the difference in the world. So it's having those uh, I's dotted and those T's crossed that will enable you to be even better if it, it, or when it happens next time. And not to mention anything about telehealth, right? Same thing. We had been dabbling in telehealth for a very, very long time and, you know, bureaucracy and this or that wasn't happening. And all of a sudden it was the only way, right? It just happened. And you had to have the right infrastructure. You had to have the right pieces kind of lined up. And, you know, one of the things I love about working for Oracle was that, for instance, if you take our customer zoom right they were able to massively massively scale up during the pandemic we all know that you know every the zooming became a verb right you know it was right. that important then having this incredibly large infrastructure that allowed that scale to to happen very quickly is is mandatory right so we have to learn from from that And really remember because whether it's a pandemic or something else, there will be other disruptions. It's impossible that there won't be. So, thinking about what happens if there is all of a sudden a need to spike, you know, have an extreme spike in IT resources, you know, whatever shape or color they may be. So, you have to have a plan to know what you're going to do if that happens again. Because I think at this point, no one ever again can feign ignorance. No one can say, yeah, we didn't know this could happen. Yeah, it could happen.
0: Yeah, I think one one thing that you made me think about, uh, Esteban, is we've we've changed how we look at the closeness of uh, our provider in terms of giving us providing service. Um, And that's one thing that I think the pandemic did. Everybody's uh, used technology, given kind of everybody being remote, to receive medical treatment. You know, via telehealth. So we're almost spoiled now. Right. (laughs) The expectation is that's part of my experience with my provider. And if my provider isn't providing that degree of ubiquity, right, so that I can almost access anything from anywhere, you're you're not really providing a great customer experience. And I think we got it's almost like we got spoiled because of that.
1: Well, yeah, it's like Schrodinger's cat, right so the the right, box is open. Right. you know the cat is alive we we we've seen that already, so there's no going back you You can't undo that
0: right and I mean, some of the things too I mean some of the other kind of points about the ubiquity, access to information and how we track things like tests and especially you know given you know vaccination and vaccination tests was you know everybody's everybody's looking at that during covid so I think Standing up that type of capability, using that ubiquity, talking about cloud, to enable to enable that. I think some of those things, to your point, may be coming becoming more of a uh, expectation than a nice to have.
1: I don't know. Well, oh, absolutely, and and sorry, what, just one one other point. If you look at that specifically, and you know, thanks for bringing that up. Anybody listening to this who may have uh, received a vaccine, especially in the U.S you probably got text messages from vsafe right to asking you to report on you know do you have any symptoms and you know, following up every week every month every six months well not only was that developed on oracle sort of low-code tools on oci but also it allowed for kind of a whole new kind of uh, epidemiological research because we were able to collect so much data so quickly it just again it's about this agility and nimbleness, you know, stand this up in no time at all and scale it up to hundreds of millions of users and billions of check-ins. And all of a sudden, you have this massive amount of clinical data that you can do something with, right? So instead of having to kind of painstakingly plan the clinical trial, you had all this data, so you could do a lot of Things that were not able to, to to happen before, so check for the uh, efficacy and safety of vaccines in different kinds of uh, groups that maybe were not studied well before. So, whether the most salient example of that is, uh, you know, pregnant women, you know, that that became kind of the the shiny example of how useful it is to stand this up very quickly to get all this data and to be able to use it to uh, affect. Clinical care, you know, at the population level. So, yes, absolutely. And and, and it has to do with resiliency as well.
0: That's great. Houdini, you and I've talked a little bit about some of this. You know, I think we need to get a little back to basics with some of it, though, because uh, sometimes we throw away, throw around terms, and I don't know if we completely understand what they mean, but I don't know. Did you have a question you wanted to pepper in here?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, And thanks, Aspon, for that background. Um, Because it does, you know, I think. We all would agree, you know, since COVID began in 2020, things have changed dramatically. And and a question I had for John actually was around resiliency. And I think, you know, we think of resiliency pre-COVID and post-COVID. And just kind of break it down to simplistic terms for for our audience, John, I mean, when you think about resiliency now, what you're hearing from your clients, what does that kind of mean to you?
3: Yeah, thanks, Sudini, for this opportunity. And resiliency is the hot topic within the healthcare customers. You know, we've been talking to a number of them and resiliency constantly, constantly coming up, particularly after we went through this pandemic. It's a bit different before the pandemic, and I, I, I'll, I'll walk you guys through a little bit, but let's go to the basics first, like Jay's talking about. Let's define what is resiliency. So this is how I will say it. Kind of a resiliency. I'm going to going to define it because Esteban defined it in terms of the business, healthcare business side. I am going to define it in terms of the healthcare systems that supports the business. So I would say resiliency refers to the system's ability to continue operating. You know, that's the key word, continue to operating despite the failure of any one of the system component failure or suboptimal performance of some of its components, mm-hmm. So if you double click that resiliency, I will put it into this four buckets. The first one is the availability. Second one is the reliability. And third one is kind of the main thing. We need to do that, but still it needs to be secure because security in healthcare is absolutely critical and that needs to be part of the resiliency bucket. And then the last one is performance. So let me me get into like, what is availability? So if you look into availability, It's the proposition of time, your system is functional and working. Let's say like if you want to design a high availability, you need to consider three key elements. What is that? The first one is the redundancy means that multiple components can perform the same task. So the problem of single point of failure is eliminated. That's the first design thought process you have to have. Second one is you need to constantly monitor the health of your systems. Because I always say, like, if if you don't monitor it, you can't manage it. So you need to constantly monitor it. And then the last one is kind of the have a failover process in place so that if something happened, because you have to design for the failure, it's going to happen. So you have to kind of have a failure process in place and then make sure you are testing that one. So let's, that, that's how I define it. If you get into like a recoverability, people ask, okay, define that one, John. How do you guys see it in the healthcare customer when people talk about recoverability? I always say recoverability is the ability of a system to recover from failures and continue to function with the minimal downtime and data loss before full recovery. That's the key point because we know in the healthcare, Esteban talked about whether it is a patient-centric applications or clinical uh, clinicians specific application, the system availability failure, even failure happens, the system should continue to operate. And we know, you know healthcare companies increasingly rely on cloud computing nowadays and digital transformation and digital infrastructure to operate and deliver value-based care. It's a critical to understand the significance of cloud resiliency and it's advantages to the healthcare customers. So I would say a well implemented cloud resiliency architecture provides the things we talked about, the reliability, the availability and security and performance by default. So the healthcare companies can leverage these default resiliency capabilities available by this cloud service provider to make their applications resilient. Uh, one thing I would I would also talk about, I just want to talk about cyber attack. You know, that's absolutely critical nowadays. So the cloud resiliency should able to handle the cyber attacks and it should minimize, it should avoid, it should prevent that one. And, and another thing I would talk about is kind of automatically detect and respond to disruptions because that's the main thing. This is where the automation come into picture rather than human intervention, the system should automatically detect and also take care of the resolution of that failures by default. The good news is healthcare customers don't need to figure these things, how to implement a cloud resiliency. What they can can depend upon is the cloud service providers to give them these resiliency, required resiliency capabilities so that they can infuse those capabilities into their applications to bring those applications resilient to support their healthcare customers. That's probably how I would define it. Thanks, John.
2: No, that's great, and and, and it kind of leads me into my next question. This one's for you, Esteban. You know, if you think about um, resiliency in healthcare and IT infrastructure, uh, you know, John gave us a good overview on what resiliency really really means uh, at its core. Um, but you know, I've you know what I've seen here at Ahead, and I'm sure you guys see at Oracle is that the healthcare industry is usually laggards in a lot of different areas and financial services usually is the one that's leading the charge as far as uh, being more agile and uh, able to adopt the things better. Esteban, what do you feel like resiliency looks like in healthcare and uh, the healthcare IT infrastructure today?
1: I certainly agree about the the, the nature of uh, healthcare IT. And I, I, there, there, there are some reasons for it, obviously not great to be laggards, but when you're dealing with healthcare data, maybe there there is some reason for it, but be that as it may, it, it is, I think, <coughs> actually true that we, we see that. I would start with the data. You know, I'd like to think about the data first and the systems. Second, systems are important, but you have to have ubiquity of access for data. Data has to be available all the time, regardless of what kind of data it is, whether we're talking about structured data, In the EHR, even unstructured data, clinical notes, hugely important images, uh, structured lab reports, and on and on and on. So the data has to be available in some shape. Yeah, we can see that in the EHR where you have maybe different access methods, or in imaging where maybe you have specialized tools for radiologists and cardiologists. But maybe with VNA's, you have uh, universal viewers that everybody can use to see different kinds of images. So. That ubiquity of of access is, I think, number one in terms of resiliency. And certainly not only because it's important for patient care, but because this data is regulated. So the the penalties for not being able to produce this data if uh, required for for a patient, but not only for a patient, but also sort of legally are significant. And now that we're in this kind of uh, peak uh, AI time, it turns out that it's incredibly important to have all data. All data used to be a liability, I think, and now more and more we see that all data is a a treasure trove, right? Because we're talking about training models with all data that is is valuable. Because we, the more data we have, the better it is. And also, when we talk about equity, we if we if we think about equity, we. Know that if a model doesn't get enough diverse data, it will not be good in general, right? And also, we hear a lot about AI models being brittle. So, if the population from which the training data is extracted is too homogenous, the model will kind of spectacularly fail if it's taken to a different population. So, I think that plays into resiliency as well. And then more maybe mundane things like disaster recovery and business continuance, you know, this is really not about the data itself, but the systems, you how are you going to fail over, right? You know, what's your RPO? What's your RTO? Well, you know, your your RPO really should be zero. You, You can't lose any data. Your RTO, well, if you can't do zero, can you do one minute? If you can't get back in a minute, you know, How do you do this? And then different kinds of disaster recovery is one thing is your data center gets flooded or something like that, or there's a fire. And a very different different thing is if you get hit with ransomware. So the end result is going to be the same and the the goals are going to be the same, but it's going to look totally different, right? Because you you have to be able to recover from one or another or maybe a third different kind of problem. And that, that is an integral part of resiliency. And especially, you know, when we talk about the large provider organizations, yeah, they're, they're more sophisticated for sure. But, you know, in the U S we have like, whatever, 5,500 or 6,000, who knows, you know, thousands of hospitals or or provider organizations. And a lot of them don't have the, I I wouldn't say sophistication, but just the tools and and the financial uh, Resources that are necessary for the kind of resiliency that we're talking about here. So, you know, we've all seen this. You know, customers maybe have a what they call a server room instead of a secondary data center, and the server room is in the physician office building that's across the road, and it's not really meant for you know, it's not a, a real data center, and it's expensive to maintain, and the the business continuity or, or failover or runbook it doesn't get. Uh, really use much or they don't they don't practice because a failover is disruptive and on and on and on so I think that's where it companies that are really steeped in technology like oracle or you know sort of technology companies can bring a lot of really useful experience because as we hear often from healthcare customers, and I think this is not something that we say as vendors, I think this really happens that they're not in the business of running data centers. And more and more, I think this is a realization that is hitting a lot of boards where they're saying, we need to go back and focus on our core competency and that you know we, we need IT people but maybe we should be running our own data center, especially if we're small, right? Because other people can do it at scale better, you know, certainly more secure and on and on. And so that I think is part and parcel of thinking about resiliency in healthcare and then think about cybersecurity right? That, that has to be core to, to any kind of discussion of resiliency in healthcare, because as we know, you know, the, the, the data point that is thrown around all the time is healthcare data is 10 X more valuable than financial data in, in kind of the underground, right? And there's a reason for that. We don't need to get into it, but it, it, it is true. I think that worldwide healthcare organizations, not only uh, providers, but payers as well. And, and, uh, you know, pharma companies, you know, anybody involved in healthcare, they are very juicy targets for cyber criminals. Again, I'm not saying anything new here, right? But it's not if, but when you get attacked or successfully breached. So you have to have the whole like layers of defense, you know, cheddar, cheese, whatever you want to call it. But then you have to, beyond that planning and then defense uh, kind of layers, you have to know what's going to happen if those don't work. So that is, I think, a big, big part of resiliency. And we we all seen the news, you know, the, the the organizations that that were down for weeks and patients losing their lives and had, the hospitals having to shut down. I mean, any cursory search online will will yield thousands of, of these stories because very unfortunately, they happen. So we have to think about this very. Deeply and with great care, not from just the uh, vendor community, but from the provider community, because even though I'll end here, we all know this, we all talk about this, but there's maybe a certain tiredness that has set in. Where where yes, everybody knows it's important, but it's like, oh, we still don't protect ourselves because this still keeps happening all the time, so I think somehow we collectively need to to jolt the system so that we we actually we we don't just pay lip service to the importance of this, but we actually do something about it because there there is really no time to waste in terms of resiliency
0: yeah it's great point, sister, and I think you know. I've done a lot in financial services too, and financial services—you're right—they're—they're they're all about resiliency because time is money. But I think with healthcare, you know, if you really think about running healthcare like a business and kind of the board's perspective, where patient experience is king, and just like in finance, patients aren't necessarily loyal all the time. Resiliency really counts, and if you have kind of the forethought and funding, because that's the other thing—have you actually? had the forethought to fund the things you need to fund to ensure there's a re- resiliency. That's going to really make a difference in kind of the patients deciding to go to this hospital provider over another uh,
1: retention for sure.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, John, John, I had uh, uh, one kind of final question for you. Um, I don't know. if Houdini might have one or two others, but you know, you guys are from Oracle, obviously, and and I know that there are solutions particularly on cloud on the cloud infrastructure side that from your perspective might be kind of requirements um or things that Oracle could suggest having in place to ensure a degree of resiliency for uh for healthcare companies. What's what's your perspective on that?
3: Yeah, no, perfect, Jay. Let me talk about maybe a couple of things. So the first area I put it into two buckets, if you will. The first one is some kind of the actual technology services itself you need to have. And then the second one is also some kind of a best practices because some of this resiliency you won't be able to address just with the, with the services or a products. So you also have to have some best practices. So what Oracle brings to the table to the healthcare customers, or both these factors, you know, brings a proven, advanced cloud services uh, specifically deliver some unique capabilities in the resiliency, and then the other one is some of the proven best practices, you know, last 40 years, delivering this kind of enterprise systems to the enterprise customers we have learned and adapted and documented a lot of best practices. So let me talk about those two areas real quick here. On the advanced technologies, the first area I would focus on is the automatic redundancy and failover mechanisms. You know, Esteban talked about it. Jay, you talked about it. That's absolutely critical uh, because failure is given. But then if failure happens, how I am going to recover? You know, that's what we are talking here. And Oracle Cloud offers different availability scopes for applications and offers to deploy healthcare mission-critical application resources across what we call a multiple fault domains within a data center, you know, within an availability domain. Within your data, within a single data center, you have fault-isolated fault domains. So even if you one of your fault domain goes down, your application continue to run on the other two fault domains similarly you also this way you get your local data center resiliency and then another one is oracle also provides multiple regions uh, multiple data centers within a region so that gives you kind of what we call uh, resiliency across the region geographical distribution And then the next one, Esteban talked about this disaster recovery and business continuity. That's absolutely critical. So what OCA offers is the range of disaster recovery solutions to help care customers to minimize the impact of the disruptive events on the business operations. So OCA, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure supports active-active pattern, active-passive pattern, Pilot light, we call it, pattern, and then backup option to to healthcare customers to improve the resiliency at the same time, manage the cost, reduce the cost, because you have to look at this resiliency solutions. Yeah, they're great when it comes to the architecture, but does it make sense on on the business side, on the cost side? So that's what Oracle gives the choice to the healthcare customers to pick the right pattern for the need that you have at hand. And then we talked about scalability, you know, like automatically, like Esteban talked about during the COVID vaccine, boom, all of a sudden people are hitting the system left and right. You have to automatically scale to accommodate the volume. So we, Oracle Cloud provides auto-scaling capabilities. And then security controls and enforcement points, absolutely critical part of the resiliency. And Oracle Cloud Infrastructure adapts security-first design. It's not an option. It's kind of a default within the cloud. So it gives you isolated network virtualization. It kind of gives you the pristine physical host deployment. So there is no noisy neighbor concept there is no other tenant co-locating it, things of that nature. And also allow the customers to choose the geographic reason where their data will be stored. You know, sometimes uh, we all know healthcare data is, is there are some, you know, regulations. So Oracle Cloud gives you an option. If you want to run your cloud, bring the cloud to your data center, Oracle Cloud offers that it's called dedicated region gives the same set of cloud deployment models, same set of cloud services, same cloud economic model in your data center to address your data privacy and uh, regulations uh, requirements. Uh, On the best practices side, I would talk about uh, kind of a maximum availability architecture is what we, we provide to healthcare customers. This is nothing but a set of best practices developed by Oracle engineers over the last 40 years for the integrated use of high availability, data protection and data disaster recovery technologies. And it consists of set of best practices blueprint for the integrated use of these technologies to ensure the highest level of resiliency for the mission critical healthcare applications. Probably last one, I I just just touch on the, you know, one customer example, Adventist Health. You know, they've been on Oracle Cloud for a number of years. And then if you ask them, they were able to, by moving to the Oracle Cloud, they were able to cut their budget timeline in half, reducing their planning cycle from six months to three months. It gives them the opportunity to take a look at their clinical data all kind of details about the services they provide to their patients, kind of bring all the data together to look into it at the same time, bring the resiliency of their systems to significantly higher level. That's how I will wrap it up, uh, Jay. That's great. Thanks, John. That's uh, some great insights about some of the
0: things that, uh, that Oracle can provide. Thank you to Esteban. I think this was a great conversation. And, provided hopefully a lot of good, solid information about resiliency and where we are within healthcare. And for our listeners, look forward to more trends and insights from us on technology and healthcare with folks like John and Esteban from Oracle and others. Uh, we'll be discussing interesting topics like AI and chat GBT in healthcare, debating the possibility of untethered, almost invisible hospitals, as well as talking about Things like, uh, can we rate how good patient experiences are within healthcare? So stay tuned for some of those conversations. Uh, Again, thank you, John and Esteban. Great conversation. Thank you, Jay. Thanks. Thanks, Jay.